What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the State of the Arc podcast. My name is Mike. My name's Kason. Today, we are going to be talking about uh, three... We're, we're keeping it to three this time. Three news topics that were interesting. And then, uh, but our main our main topic is going to be talking about multi-dimensional characters. What makes a multi-dimensional character? Is it always important to make sure that your main character is a multi-dimensional character or what's called a three-dimensional character? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have, of course, our community stories, some really cool stuff from the community we want to share with you guys. So, um, some of the most interesting uh, news from this week PlayStation, uh, well, Sony, announced that PlayStation will not have any sort of um, presence at E3 in 2019 at all. Um, It's the first time in, like, the 24-year history history of the show that that PlayStation has not had (laughs) uh, a a presence there. It's freaking crazy. Here's the statement from Sony on it. It says, as the industry evolves, Sony Interactive Entertainment continues to look for inventive opportunities to engage the community. PlayStation fans mean the world to us, and we always want to innovate, think differently, and experiment with new ways to delight gamers. As a result, we have decided not to participate in E3 in 2019. We are exploring new and familiar ways to engage our community in 2019 and can't wait to share our plans with you. Um, yeah. It's a big hit for E3, honestly. Yeah, it's 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 really it's really weird. Like, I mean, it's you kind of just have to speculate on the reasons why. But I mean, obviously they don't. Okay, here's an, here's the next part of the statement. This actually clarifies it somewhat. Now that we have Spider-Man out the door, we're looking down in 2019 to games like Dreams and Days Gone but we wouldn't have enough to bring people all together in some location in North America to have that event. We don't want to set expectations really high and then not deliver on it. So they're basically saying we don't have enough PlayStation 4 games to show to like make it worth it. Mm. So this means one of two things. One, um, I don't know. <laughs> there's, there's, I mean, cause, cause there's still a like death stranding, there's still potentially the Final Fantasy VII remake, which Nomura recently said is still going just fine. He says it's going well. So if it if 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 it's that those games aren't coming in 2019 and those games are coming more in 2020, that could be the reason they just like we don't have enough stuff coming. Or it could mean that there's a heavy focus now moving ahead to the PlayStation 5. But even still. They've never missed an E3 in the past, even in years where it's like the the, the focus is switching now to our next generation console, yeah. whether that's a PlayStation well, you, 2 or 3 or whatever. You always have stuff that you want to show. Like, they're always working yeah. on new things. Yeah. It's, kind of weird. it's in, almost in st- like um, Nintendo's direct approach is probably mm. going to start catching on a lot more places. I think so, too, just because mm. it's far less expensive. Oh, yeah. And- <laughs> It's oh, yeah. like Nintendo has a presence at E3 still. They still have their demos and they'll do interviews and stuff, but they don't like present live on stage. They don't like build stages out at E3 really mm-hmm. anymore. And they kind of just do their videos, right? Which it makes the most sense to me. You can completely control the messaging. You can control 
the production value like there's there's nothing that can go wrong with releasing a video later that you exactly. made versus yeah. being on the stage. Yeah. So, I mean, I I wouldn't blame Sony for going that route or anyone else for not doing like live uh pre- presentations anymore if that's the direction they're going. But I mean, mm-hmm. just missing the thing altogether. I don't know, it's kind of weird. I I don't understand it unless they really just have nothing at all. <laughs> Which is <laughs> coming in 2019 problem for them. Yeah. It means the PS5 launched a year too late. If they yeah. have nothing in 2019, they didn't know. plan well. I don't know, but in tandem to this, moving on to our next, well, it's kind of in the same topic. There's another um, report I was looking at that was saying that um, the dev kits for the B- the PS5, uh, there's some some rumors spreading around. Um yeah, and some of them are out in the wild that they're really powerful, but that they're not due until 2020. So that would suggest the PS5 is still a little ways out, like at least till 2021, maybe something like that. Uh, so it, this this um, article is saying it's all kicking off. Sony has shocked us by announcing that it's not attending E3 2019 after all. And it's resulted in a slew of speculation about PlayStation 5, what's going on behind the scenes. Based on conversations I've had with the developers across the industry, the Japanese giant's next generation console is not set to release. Well, okay, so the, the actual release of the console will be 2020. Yeah. So they'd be missing 2019 and not even like... Because usually when they announce a new console, they would do it... No, they don't always do it at E3. Sometimes they don't. But they announce it the year beforehand and at E3 that year, they sort of like hype it up a bit if it's going to be released in the next year. So yeah. if it is coming out 2020, I don't know why they wouldn't go to E3 and show what it is. <laughs> Especially if everyone knows it's coming out in 2020. I know. Uh, of course, this has not been confirmed. This is just a rumor, but however, yeah. one Redditor um, reckons that PS5's development kits are already in the hands of studios and it's beast. Apparently, this is supported by a separate Square Enix story where mm-hmm. an artist at Luminous Productions accidentally revealed that the team is working on a new IP. So that was on um, LinkedIn, I think. In his like portfolio on LinkedIn, he listed a bunch of stuff he worked on at Square Enix, and one of them was Luminous Studios' next AAA P- PlayStation 5 game is something he listed. It, they mm-hmm. didn't give the name of the game, just said PlayStation 5 AAA game. Um... Anyway, so seems pretty likely that the PlayStation 5 is on the way. And I don't know if it's had any effect at all on this decision not to do, uh, not to have a presence. I mean, it's not even just not like having a, a presentation. They're not going to have demos. They're not going to have of anything, any presence at E3 at yeah. all. And it's, I, wow. Okay, I, I don't I mean, get it. <laughs> it's it's a trade show. Even so, this is a funny thing. Even when all the big announcements come at E3, the Tokyo Game Show, which happens a year, a month or two later, they're still there. You don't have to have big announcements to to be there yeah. and to have a presence and to advertise your stuff and to try and get people to come and try out new things coming to your console. I mean. The fact that they don't have anything new to say shouldn't pre- shouldn't um, you know exclude them from going to or preclude I guess them from going to any 
trade shows. It just doesn't you know, really make sense to me. So I wonder where this decision came from. There were a lot of games they showed, right? That I that are not out yet because they talked about well, now Spider Man's out the door. But what about like Ghosts of Tsushima? When was that supposed to come out? Like, what was the release date supposed to be for that? Is, is I that don't before E three. I don't even know if they've put a release date on that. Yet. Yeah, I can't remember seeing a release date, but maybe maybe somebody else knows. And what about um, what about uh, Last of Us Part Two? Is does that have a release date before? Come on, what's the release date? I should have looked this up beforehand, but I didn't think <laughs> about it. June eleventh. That so might be like. That's like the week of E3. That's like the week of E3. You want to have that. You want to have that there to show that. it off. You want people to demo that. Uh, Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe it's like th- at that point, all the marketing dollars are spent. Games on sale. We're done spending money on this game. I don't know. Uh, Anyways, but that's the week of. I would think you'd want to have that there for people to demo. Yeah, you think um, so. Also, uh, Death Stranding which should be getting pretty close to being finished at this point this year maybe right yeah uh i don't know if they've ever had a date for that game but <laughs> anyways i think there are more games than the ones they mentioned in that article mm. that they could have at the show and let people demo and stuff without having to do a huge presentation i i don't know i don't know i find it strange but we'll see what they do yeah Okay. PlayStation, dude. We are, our next topic here, uh, Devil May Cry is getting an animated series. It's coming to Netflix. And it's the same the... company that did um, Castlevania, right? Correct. Same producer of the Castlevania series on Netflix is doing yeah. Devil May Cry. Now, the one, the reason I wanted to talk about this, because, I mean, it's interesting in and of itself. Um, in a, last week, I talked about how I liked the Castlevania uh, Netflix series, how yeah, I was surprised it. at like some of the really good storytelling that they did with that particular intellectual property. It kind of surprised mm-hmm. me a little bit how they were able to actually effectively move me in emotionally in some way. Um, so, you know, it, it's cool that these same people are, are taking Devil May Cry. I think that's a, an even harder one to... Well, you could still make it a really cool action thing, though, right? If it's just strictly focused on being, like, an awesome action series or something like that. But even still, there's a quote here uh, from Shankar, who is uh, the... Who is the... The producer. (laughs) Producer. (laughs) Yeah. So he says uh, he acquired the rights so that Hollywood doesn't F it up. Um then the the the, the writer of the article speculates it's not clear if this is a reference to the creative liberties that Hollywood studios have taken with other Capcom franchises like Resident Evil and Monster Hunter. Have you seen the set photos and stuff for Monster for Hunter? For Monster Hunter, I have not. No. Oh my! It looks so dumb, dude. It's like military. What? It's like straight like tanks and like that's not GIs. Monster Hunter. I know. GIs and tanks and stuff like fighting monsters. Oh, that's so what it's they all did modern with and stuff. Oh, that's yeah. stupid. That's what they did with Monster Hunter. That's what this guy's referring to on Polygon. Um, so oh. yeah, he he bought the rights to to Devil May Cry so that Hollywood wouldn't f it up. Is is apparently his reasoning behind it, which is well, cool. I like he, that. He I respect that. Screwed up himself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I I respect that because he did a really great job with uh, Castlevania. So yeah. Um, Anyways, look forward to that. There's also speculation that um, 
well, I don't actually, I'm not sure if this is speculation or not, but I've, I've heard or seen people saying that this is going to be like a, like a multiverse thing. So like Castlevania and Devil May Cry happening in the same universe, right? Like they're tied together, like the Avengers and all the freaking superheroes and stuff. That Um, would be interesting, but that would, that would be a way of him you know, screwing things up for his own purposes. <laughs> it it could work because yeah. in in the Castlevania series they did, I mean it's it's basically demons and stuff being summoned by Dracula to like terrorize and kill people. Mm-hmm. And uh Dante is a demon slayer. Now right. Dante is in the modern world and Castlevania happens like more in medieval times. So I'll just make him part of the same timeline. Yeah, it's like the Dracula of the modern day that he has yeah. to fight. Or, or maybe not Dracula at all. Maybe it's just demons. I don't know. But anyways, I think there is a way to make it work. But It's cool. We'll see what happens. I, I like Devil May Cry, all right? I think it's pretty cool. The games are pretty cool anyway. Yeah, you know, I've never really played them before. I've um, seen them played, and I've seen trailers and stuff, but I've never played a Devil May Cry before. They're fun. They're fun to play. They're mm-hmm. They're not super deep. From a storytelling <laughs> perspective, but they are fun to play. <laughs> well, it's a lot of freedom for the storytellers then to kind of do whatever they want. Yeah, I think so. Okay, last news topic. Uh, moving on to George Martin, George R.R. Martin, the author of the Songs of Ice and Fire Game of Thrones mm. series. Um, so he has just, it's just a small statement, but it's one that I hadn't really thought of, which is why I wanted to bring it up. He was asked about how. Progress on the Winds of Winter is coming. Winds of Winter is the the next book in the series that he's been Mm -hmm. writing for freaking years now. Um, He says, I've been struggling with it for a few years. The Winds of Winter is not much, it's not so much a novel as a dozen novels, each with a different (laughs) protagonist, each having a different cast of supporting players and antagonists and allies and lovers around them, and all of these weaving together in in, in, in an extremely complex fashion. So it's very, very challenging. Fire and Blood, by contrast, which is kind of like a, I think that was like a, a poor man's um, Silmarillion for this world kind of a deal. It's like a, 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 a book that sort of like details like the ancient history and lore of the, the world. Fire mm. and Blood, by contrast, was very simple. Not that it's easy. It took, still took me years to put together, but it's easier. And like, that's so true. Like... I hadn't really thought of it that way because a lot of people are like, dude, just write it, dude, just write it. And it's like, he's not just writing a single novel with any of these books anymore. Yeah, It really is like he's writing four or five. If you follow all the different characters who are in separate places right now, kind of like following different storylines and that he's trying to bring them all together here toward the end. That's that's crazy. That's a lot of characters, a lot of yeah. main characters. It's <laughs> thinking of it like different, like a bunch of different novels really kind of put together into one is is uh, it, it gives me more sympathy for how long it takes. Yeah, and I think he has a lot more pressure on him now than he ever used to at any other point in his career to finish like this one book mm-hmm. because like the show was <laughs> coming yeah. coming up to an end and like. This happens. I did not think it would happen with Game of Thrones, but you know he he's not done, and the show's done. So, like, <laughs> yeah, dude. what's gonna happen? You know, it's just it's crazy. Pretty sure the final season of the show is gonna be debuting in April, um, yeah. twenty nineteen. So the show will be long over by the time that this book comes out. 
And what yeah. I hope happens is is kind of like what the what happened with um uh uh frick uh Full Metal Alchemist, right? Oh yeah. Where they'll make like a new the show hmm. passed the writer and yeah. and she kind of just said like finish it however you want to, but she didn't like tell them what her planned ending was. Right. And so they effed it up, and the ending of the original show was really bad as soon as it diverged away from from her mm-hmm. story. And then they then she came back after having finished the manga, and she finished it a different way, which I think is really smart because you don't want to you don't want to finish it the same way because then there's no surprise for the reader, right? So I hope that George Martin, despite the fact that it has been stated that the only reason he agreed to have these showrunners is because they understood the ending, right? Yeah. So I still hope that he will diverge from that and write a different ending so that the people who read the books will still have some element of surprise and get, like, a different take on the story. I think that's how he should go. Hmm. But in any case, I think the show itself has kind of gone uh, off the rails a bit ever since diverging from... The, the the original material it's the storytelling has struggled to well captivate me there's a lot of weird decisions that have been made i believe so it's still done at a high production value it's still you know i mean it's not like it's garbage or it's horrible i think that there are some really dumb choices that have been made and and i think that it, it's really fallen into mediocrity mm. away from when it was really great back in like season three but um, in any case, I could sympathize with him, and I hope that he, he goes a different route with his ending. Yeah, that would okay. be really cool. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's uh, let's jump into our main topic today. So we wanted to talk about multi-dimensional characters. What makes yeah. a multi-dimensional character, right? Um, so I'll start it off uh, by just like. We could just read the definition of what it is and then just like call it a day. <laughs> but uh, I want to diverge from there and kind Done. of talk about how people talk about multidimensional characters. And, and you know, you, you'd think that you should always have one as your main protagonist and whatnot. But I've learned some interesting stuff that I want to share with you guys. Uh, but let's do that first. Let's just talk about what it is. Um, so a multidimensional character is a character having or involving or marked by several dimensions or aspects. Now, to get a little more into that, a two-dimensional character or a flat character is lacking the expected range or depth, not designed to give an illusion of depth. So the, the, the 2D and 3D characters are drawn from, you know, 2D or 3D uh, with, with the, the different dimensions of height and then length, and then depth, right? So yeah, a 2D depth. character... Yeah, people mean when they say depth. Yeah, so they're saying that a character lacks depth when they're saying it's a 2D character, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas a three-dimensional character has a lot of depth or um, a lot of different aspects to their character that make them up. Uh, um, Robert McKee, who I will never stop quoting because I freaking love him, <laughs> <laughs> he, says, uh, he says here... 
In film, we talk about three-dimensional characters. Tony Soprano, in my analysis, is a 12-dimensional character. Walter White is a 16-dimensional character. If you, sit there, <laughs> if you sit there for 10 hours watching dimension after dimension, contradiction after contradiction emerge out of the character, you see how he treats his wife one way, then how he treats his friend another way, then he treats his enemy yet another way. These brilliant cast designs of these great long-form series pull out consistent contradictory dimensions. That's what dimension is, a consistent contradiction within the nature of a character. After 10 hours, you've learned more about what it is to be human, uh, be a human being, than you could have ever in your life experienced during a feature film. So his sort of like take on it is these contradictions in a person's character, right? Uh, you could say maybe even on a more basic level, the faults of a character, the the yeah. the way that they'll they'll have maybe a certain uh, philosophy or morality, but then they'll divert from that and they'll um, do something else. Yeah, yeah like, they'll they'll act in a different way. So that's one way to look at it. I thought that was kind of interesting. Did you come across anything that you were looking at this week? I think on? we found the exact same article, <laughs> by the way, um, because I, I, I have that exact quote in front of me. But um, so what we do is me and Mike will pick a topic and we'll we'll like diverge or we'll we'll both look into it separately and we'll kind of mm-hmm. come back with what we've got. Now, I've got a few um, I've got a few thoughts on like w- what a, a dimensional character is uh like three dimensional and also mm-hmm. just like what a dynamic character is. Cause I think there's actually a little bit of a difference um, because dynamics um, you can look at in a 2d sense, kind of like what Mike was saying, mm-hmm. you have your graph, your chart and dynamics um, would be like how high the chart goes or the wavelength goes, and then also how low it goes. Right. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't factor in depth at all. So the more dynamics you have, that go in slightly different ways, then you have actual three-dimensional depth, right? So your character may have an internal contradiction and that gives him some dynamics or gives the story dynamic, but it doesn't mean that the character is necessarily three-dimensional unless there are multiple different dynamic areas. So like what I've read about in um, one article here was talking about the past, present, and future. That's a whole set of dynamics that you can bring in, who they were in the past, who they are now and where they're headed or what, what they could be or where they're going in the future. Um, you know, an easy, normal life doesn't really lead lend you, um, doesn't really give much, uh, by the way of dynamics in terms of the character's development, but somebody who has really, you know, been through a lot in their childhood. Now they're a teenager and they're having these adversities, but they have hope for the future because of what these adversities are going to teach them uh, into adulthood. And I think that's one section of dynamics. Then you also have, um, you know, just the general morality. You have, um, you know, the relationship with the character and other people. You have relationship with the characters in the plot. You have what they're good at. Like, you can have dynamics and skills, right? Mm. This guy's really kind of not smart in the head, but he's really good at fixing stuff, right? And so he's got his own area of expertise that you maybe wouldn't expect. That leads to maybe a more dynamic character. Anything that you see in real life when you meet people and, you know, you can tell that maybe they haven't always been the way they are now, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, They haven't always made the best choices or maybe when they were a teenager, they did this or that. Um, Sometimes it's more obvious than others, but the more you get to know people in real life, the more you realize what their faults may have been at different points, uh, the more dynamics you can 
you know, calculate within that person, then the more multidimensional they become. That's kind of the theory that I've been working on. So Chris Guin uh, says something interesting here that I think will lead mm -hmm. into the, the next part of the conversation. I want to take this. He says, yeah. it bothers me when people assume multidimensional means not boring. It's not true. And I think that this is the general way people look at it. When you look at people criticizing a character, they'll say, oh, that character's boring. They're one dimensional or two dimensional. Mm. Um, you know, they, they don't have any depth to them. Uh, and, and there is a stigma around the, this idea that your character needs to be multidimensional to be an interesting character. Now, you just brought up dynamics being one way that you could take a two dimensional character and make them more interesting. But I'm going to be referencing a book called Creating Character Arcs by K.M. Wyland. It's really, really good. She does a really great job of breaking this down. And if anybody uh, wants to pick up that book, I totally recommend it. It's freaking fantastic. But in her book, she talks about kind of the three different character arcs. There is a positive change arc, which is the most common one. So a character goes through a positive change and at the end of the story has changed for the better. Yeah, they're a better person, yeah. Then you have the negative change arc. This is something more like the Godfather or um, Children of Huron, for instance. Mm. Uh, characters go through major changes, but it's for the worse. Um, then you have a flat character arc, which is actually more common than the negative change arc. Now, you'll see this in movies like Back to the Future. You'll see this in movies like... Um, uh, oh, shoot. What is Katniss Everdeen from? Hunger Games? Oh, Hunger Games, yeah. Where your main character doesn't change really at all from beginning to end. Mm. Now, here's here's the important thing. These characters are still interesting and people still love them sure. as main characters, but they have a flat arc. Uh, Paddington is another example. The the three the 3D movie, The Little Bear. Yeah, well, that's the highest rated Rotten Tomatoes film ever made. Yeah, by the way. And 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 I was watching a video um, from. Let me give you the channel name. Just Right, who was talking about that exact thing. This is the highest rated uh, freaking, especially considering how many reviews yeah, it has. Hundreds and hundreds. Yeah. Like, and it's still 100 percent. Right. 100. percent So. Like but it has, a, it has a flat character arc, though. So he's saying, why do people love the character Paddington? Why mm. do they love Marty McFly when they don't, when they're not multidimensional characters, like, at yeah. all? And so here's, the, here's what uh, K.M. Wyland says about that, right? In a positive change arc, the, the important structure behind this is that the character starts off in their, in their story world believing a lie. So um, they, they believe something that isn't, that isn't true and there are um, impact characters, is what she calls them, that come in and sort of like ch help the character change their mind through the story. And then they learn that the lie they believe in isn't true, they accept the truth, and then they make a positive change, mm. right? Um, another uh, example of this is what's that... Uh, Pixar movie about the different emotions. Oh, Inside Out. Yeah, Inside Out, right? Mm -hmm. um, Joy, I think, is the main character yeah. in that. In that, And uh, like she's convinced by an impact character, sadness, that joy is not the most important or only um, valuable emotion that there is, right? Mm -hmm. 
and and she goes through a major change during the course of that story and learns to accept the truth right that mm. there are a wide range of emotions that are important right. um in in back to the future a great example of this is well okay so before i go into that so the difference is is that in the in the positive in the positive change arc there are impact characters that come in and change our main character away from the lie but in a flat character arc the ones that are really effective the main character is the impact character mm. who goes and changes the opinions or the the um behavioral patterns or whatever of supporting characters who believe the lie and the main character is the only one who believes the truth and the story world needs to be convinced of the lie mm. right yeah. so Marty McFly's dad is a coward. We see that at the beginning of the movie in 1985 and, and Biff is still like, yeah. you know, bullying him into his like adulthood and everything like that. And it's, it's like ruining their entire family life mm -hmm. because his dad can't stand up for himself. So Marty who knows the truth and, and uh, George who believes the lie, he goes back in time and teaches his dad how to stand up for himself and affects change in the past and then comes back. So Marty, the flat character who is still interesting was the impact character. And in flat character arcs, uh, they, you can still have a great, really, really cool, really likable uh, dynamic, like you're saying, main mm. character who's very interesting, but does not have any sort of like major change and is not necessarily a 3D character, right? Yeah. Um, I thought that was fascinating. That's it's absolutely just, fascinating. <laughs> it opens up just like an entire extra like realm of things that you can do with a story. It just like helps right. you focus. It's like, because a while ago, I was trying to come up with character arcs for all of the characters I'm writing in, in this novel that I'm writing. And I was like, oh, I got to make them all like super interesting. And I've got to like make sure that they... They believe this lie and then they're going to change to this and they're all going to have this like wide affecting change and each one of them are going to go through something grueling and and i was trying to like, give all this depth to like every character in the story yeah. and it's like that's not where you start where you start is am i doing a flat arc or am i doing a uh, a positive change or a negative change and then that informs you entirely of what the character's role is in the story so it's it's completely fine to have a character have a flat arc as long as they're going to be an impact character, they believe the truth and they're going to go help other people realize. And it's just like, dude, like it just opens so many doors. It's like, That's there's so huge. many different yeah. things you can do. It's so cool. Well, and the character that I typically think of when you talk about an impact character, this is just the most archetypal example I can think of, but it's Obi-Wan Kenobi in yeah. Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And when you think about it, even with the prequels, Obi-Wan Kenobi, <laughs> like, I'm not saying those were great films or anything, but it's just that he 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 doesn't really change. He's the, <laughs> he's the guy. He's just the guy, and he doesn't really try to. You know, he's never tempted by evil. His emotional connections. We know nothing about his love life or any. It's just he or he's a Jedi, so I guess he's just he's just a perfect Jedi, right? He's perfect. Mm -hmm. And you know, he's an awesome character, though. And and yeah. if you just think about it. What if the story? was focusing on Obi-Wan Kenobi and not know. Skywalker. And yeah. he'd be the impact carrier ca character, but the people that are around him, they're the ones that would like Han Solo and mm -hmm. Luke and even Leia, like they're mm -hmm. the ones that'll start to change and become different people. Yeah. And um, Obi-Wan Kenobi's the, the solid one. But you brought up the Katniss Everdeen. 
That's insanely yeah. fascinating because you're right. From beginning to end, she actually does not undergo these crazy changes nope. because she had a sucky life at the beginning. Her life really sucked in the middle and it still sucked in the end. <laughs> and there's no, like, that's just how it is. But those, those stories absolutely captivated me yeah. and th- everything around her and the world, like there were dynamics elsewhere that I want to say that made up for it, but it, it, there was nothing to make up for because that's just how the story was, but that made other characters, you know, seem a little more interesting um, but she was plenty fascinating. Yeah. And uh, what's up, Steve, by the way, he says uh, watch Clone Wars TV. I, I saw <laughs> um, a couple episodes of that. And I will say I was shocked by how much depth they gave to just the clone troopers in the first episode. I, I'll really. maybe talk about this in more detail another time because it'll be a little bit of a divergence from what we're talking about but mm-hmm. yes when we're referencing when we're referencing obi-wan we're just referencing his role in the first movie mm-hmm. um in in the first movie he was an impact flat character and right. imagining the movie being written from obi-wan kenobi's perspective it could still work like and and, sure. and i th- i yeah. find it fascinating that the same could be true for uh back to the future you could write Back to the Future from the perspective of George McFly. Yeah. And it would be a positive change arc, and it right. could totally work. And Marty could just be essentially the the wise character that appears out of nowhere from the future and comes to, like, give him courage and help him, like, you know, yeah. uh, better his life. And it would still work. The story would still work. It was just right. changed to a positive change arc versus a flat uh, character arc written um, from Marty's perspective. Lego Dog brings up a really interesting point. He says most silent protagonists do this. Mm. I, I, when I think about silent protagonists, I mean, first off, I think of Wally, like basically yeah. every time. <laughs> and yeah, Wally, Wally has this much character development from the beginning to the end of the film, right? He is what he is. He's a little robot. He's adorable. Um, but video games specifically have tons of silent protagonists. And you can think of them as being flat characters because they're, you know, when you think about it with uh, Link from Legend of Zelda or uh, with a lot of characters from basically any silent protagonist where you're projecting yourself onto the character, they aren't dynamic like in any way. And mm. you, you still connect with them, but the, the storytellers have to go to a different place. They have to uh, rely on different means to get you to connect with this character. They just can't rely on the dynamic I'm emotionally attached to this person because we've been through the highs and lows together. You can't count on that with this character. You have to do that elsewhere, but you can do other things that make you connected with that character. One of them being, it does everything you tell it to do. And it's kind of you to some extent, but we got some good, uh, I I gotta, I gotta respond to some of this stuff here. Yeah. Um, So, Nitram says, how would you define Ned Stark in those parameters? He seems to fill all of them in one way or another. Now, this goes into a little bit of what Riker's beard is going to get into in a minute. By the way, I love the the name Riker's beard. That's freaking awesome. Um, <laughs> so Ned Stark, I would, I would define leaning. Like, there's a spectrum to this. I don't think that you have to be either completely flat or, you know, like s- s- complicated enough to be considered a 3d character you could like case in saying there could be dynamics to a 2d character so it, you yeah. can you can add some complexity and and uh you know I, I i would call i would personally say that ned stark fits under a 
dynamic 2D character because he doesn't really ever change his mind. And that's why he, spoiler alert, <laughs> for anyone who does not know this, spoiler alert, I'll give you just a second to mute it for like 20 seconds. This is why Ned Stark is killed is because he's stubborn, stubborn in his like morality, right? He, he will not change to adapt or survive right. in the so world. Despite of, what he's yeah. been through. Yeah. yeah. So he's a complicated character in that he has a history. He has reasons behind why he is the way he is. And, and, you know, he's believable in the sense that he's complex, he's dynamic, but he doesn't experience any kind of arc, really. He kind of just, he insists on staying the same. And, and in this story world, you can't survive that way. You have, you've got to use some level of deceit <laughs> to deceive the people who are deceiving you and, and be a step ahead of them, right? Mm. So he is an impact character, I would say, in that sense, in that he goes into King's Landing and becomes the first hand, uh, the hand of the king, and just starts freaking like making all kinds of decisions that are impacting people on a wide scale, and that's why the Lannisters uh, obviously conspire against him and everything like that. Um, well, because he he finds out the truth behind uh, what's been going on with with uh, with the queen. So, anyways, um, moving on to Riker's beard here. I feel that, like, flat arc characters still need to be flawed in some way. Otherwise, they're just your typical Mary Gary stew with no flaws. Yeah, so that's what Kaysen's saying with dynamics, right? right? You can still have a flat character, but have it be a dynamic character. A character who is yeah. strong in this area, weak in this area, right? And then I thought of other, um, other. there's the emotional dynamics, right? Where they are... They go from happy to sad, like what Mike showed before. Or there's physical dynamics. They go from being weak to being really strong. You, you have to have multiple dynamics um, in order to create, uh, like, three dimensions. Mm -hmm. uh, here's another interesting one from Lego Dog. So in theory, the story does not matter, but the perspective of who you're telling it from. And really, what is a 3D character other than just seeing the character from more perspectives? I wouldn't go as far as to say the story doesn't uh -huh. matter, but the story isn't as important as the characters. That would be my philosophy, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I, that's a universal truth. I have truth. a thought on that, actually. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying that's a universal truth or that I'm right, but in my opinion, you could have the most fascinating plot and the most fascinating story world ever, but if you don't have characters that people can relate to and that people can... Um, learn from their experience and, and uh, the, the theme can be explored through the people like it's just not as easy to really grab people because we, <clears throat> we experience life as human beings in a certain way and, and we, we can observe other people going through things and, and, so, and we can relate to that we can feel for them we have this okay. ability of, of empathy and storytelling is a practice in empathy <laughs> really it, it's it's learning to get in the shoes of a character whether it's fictional or real or whatever and like try to like understand the world from their perspective so without interesting characters to explore that story through what's what's the point in my opinion in my philosophy right yeah what were you I gonna think, say um 
I was going to talk about just um, real life, just generally speaking. You talk about observing other people and how you can observe people going through this or that. Um, and we we do this a lot, but basically everyone kind of goes through it. So the flat characters, the impact characters in your life are the people who have likely already gone through. And this is real life. This isn't stories. This is you. Yeah. These are the people who have gone through this already. Your parents, your grandparents. These are people who... Um, they are going to impact you and the decisions that you make, but they don't often change. Now, this isn't always true. I know many people whose parents have undergone some pretty radical changes, but for the most part, they're the rocks. They're solid, right? This is how this is how the foundation for stories. Um, and so humans have this like child, adolescent, adult, kind of like the three phases of, you know, progression mm-hmm. in life. Children are flat. They're flat characters in part because they just want to have fun and they don't really, they don't know that much stuff yet. Once you become an adolescent, I actually wrote this down here. This is very interesting. So children are static characters. Then they become adolescents and they learn that they can act terribly. They learn that they have, they may have the potential to become like the evil characters from the stories they heard as children. Mm -hmm. As a kid, you get mad and you hit someone. It doesn't do much damage. (laughs) When you become a teenager, you realize that you really do have the capacity to do some really, really bad stuff to other people. And the last line here is, as adults, they accept their power to do evil and exercise restraint as they try to live a good life. So the three stages being child, adolescent, which is adversity. This is where all the crap happens that kind of makes you into who you become as an adult. And the way stories are typically crafted, that's a good person as an adult. But sometimes the adolescent experience can lead you to do some things and make some choices that make you a bad person, right? Which would be kind of the other way. Um, what Mike was saying, you kind of ended up in a negative thing by the end yeah. of the, the story arc. That happens yeah. too, but most stories end up in the positive direction. But yeah. the fact that everyone goes through this, the fact that everybody has been a teenager and has mm-hmm. made stupid choices and has literally mm-hmm. been an idiot who did dumb things, Mm-hmm. Um, wh- when you see other people going through that, it, it's it's like you're identifying with it yourself. This is why we tell coming of age stories um, so often. Like most of the big stories that you see, at least like the animated ones, I don't know. I guess a lot of the like Avengers and stuff, they're a bit older. But for the most part, like Spider-Man or Studio Ghibli films or Disney movies, it's usually a coming of age story because that's when the adversity in life happens uh, for most people is when you really don't really know who you are or who you want to be. And when you go through those low points, that makes the high points when you come back to them later, that's what uh, constitutes a dynamic. That is one dynamic, having this right here, that graph. That's one dynamic. And every human can relate to that because we've all kind of been through it. And so some characters you'll see in their adult stage, they're static, they're impact characters. Some kids you Mm -hmm. see as children's stage, they're static, but they're... They're not impact characters, and they um, that's what you might call a boring character or a flat character or <laughs> something like that. And then there's the people, maybe another third, which is right in the middle. They're the people who are currently going through adversity right now. And those are the ones that most stories focus on. Yeah. But um, I just kind of wanted to parallel that with our lives because I think that's why these stories have so much of an impact. You know, why why do we why do we need people to go through these awful experiences so that we can we can become more attached to them 
But yeah. what I found in my life is that I'm the most, I'm the closest with people that I've gone through hardships with. Yes. I, I, yeah. And like whether my family, friends or anybody, I, and even if it's somebody I don't know and I go through something crazy and it's like, holy cow, I can't believe that happened. This has happened many times in my life, especially when I lived away from my family. I lived mm-hmm. up in Pittsburgh um, years ago and it's like, I'm with people I didn't really know very well, but after going through stuff for a few weeks and after being like, you know, making decisions and like learning yeah. about things, you, you become really close to these people. It's crazy so, how, how fast it happens really. Yeah, it is. It could just take a few weeks and sometimes you butt heads at first and then you, you realize that, you know, you're not all that different. It's just <laughs> like a movie, right? It happens yeah, yeah. all the freaking time. Mm-hmm. But the point is, is that without that adversity, you don't really get to know somebody. And yeah. You know, these and when movies avoid showing adversity or avoid having characters actually make bad decisions, it, it prevents you from getting to know them better. Mm. And so I don't know. That's the importance of a dynamic character, despite the fact that we're saying, hey, not every character has to be dynamic. But if you really want to be really close with a character, I think that is important because that's how it works in your in your life. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I agree yeah. with that. Uh, Walrus here is saying, honest question, when you're reading a book, do you think of all this stuff or can you just enjoy the story? Um, <laughs> 50, so 50. <laughs> it's a good, it's a good question. There are, there are, I'll say this, it, it, it that's how I enjoy stories now. Mm-hmm. I enjoy them through the process of analyzing them because for me, like I'm, I'm not interested in entertainment Right. Because this is something I want to do. This is like where where I want to go with my career. I want to be a storyteller. So for me, it's about when I go to see a movie, I'm reading a book, I'm playing a game. I'm trying to find out what did these guys do to like make this work and make it effective? And why why is it resonating with people? And that's that's kind of just my perspective, because I want to do it, too. Right. Mm. So that's. That's the yeah. reason why I'm in analytical mode all the time. And, and and it's become my way of enjoying storytelling. But that being said, there are still uh, a lot of times where something will be so effective or so good that I just sort of melt into it. Kind of like I was talking about last week. You you lose your sensory perception. You You forget. You literally forget that you're sitting in a chair at the movie theater that You've got your your Coke in your hand or whatever and your popcorn in the other and uh, that that there are people sitting next to you. You're there with your your buddies or you're there with your your family or whatever. You literally forget that and you just melt into the screen and into the story. That still happens to me for sure. Um, It happens when I'm when I'm reading something really captivating. I forget that I'm lying in my bed with the lamp, you know, on next to me and that I've got my notes (laughs) that I'm writing. Like sometimes I'll forget and I'll go, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be taking notes on this and and uh, and I'll go back and and cover it. But yeah, it's still it still happens to me a lot. Uh, Walrus had a follow comment to that. He says, when when you read a story, are you just thinking of how the characters are going to change or just you enjoy the scene? When you're reading, you always read with a fine tooth comb and look for meaning that might not be there and miss the point that maybe something happens without a larger world altering theme. Anyways, I may have misread that a little bit, but I think what I think the point is, is that if you're too analytical, Mm -hmm. you can maybe miss miss things a little bit. But my solution to that, because that does happen, happens all the time. Um, But my solution to that is typically to allow myself to be immersed. But afterwards, when I'm thinking back on something, I, you you have to ask the question why. 
you can't just say, oh, this movie was so good or this book was so good. Oh, man, that's great. Movies should be like that all the time, but not think of, well, why was it so great? Why was that so different? Why is Hunger Games different from Spirited Away? In fact, those are completely different movies. But <laughs> why is Katniss wasn't all that round of a character? Why Why was that movie so good? Especially the second one. The second one's really good. second one um, is actually the last one I saw, and I liked it a lot. It's the best one, yeah. Um, but if you're not asking those why questions, that's the time for analysis. And that's the time when you really can, you can, you can have it both ways. You can be in the middle and enjoy a film and you can just leave and forget about it and go on with your life or just think about how awesome it was. But if you ask the question, why that's when you can learn to craft these kinds of stories yourself, because you understand how it works because stuff just works. Like it's a good point. I mean, you, you can just sit and enjoy stuff and you don't need to know why it works. But if you want to know why it works, <laughs> mm-hmm. this is why, because it's deep, deep ingrained in our human psychology. And I think it's, I, you know, I think it's important to want to know why. Also. That's really interesting. It's just really interesting. Yeah. Uh, Whether you're telling your own stories or not, it's just, it's how humans are, you know, yeah. it's how we talk. You, you understand people better by yeah. becoming a better storyteller. Storytelling is not just about entertainment at all. Exactly. Like, we are telling stories constantly when when yeah. we're meeting with our buddies we're catching up over lunch what are we doing we're telling stories about what story happened story after us. story yeah just like telling and, and, and we often yep. embellish it we try to make it more exciting you know for the people who are listening we don't even necessarily yep. do that consciously we just do that because we want to you know have a good time with these people and catch up and, and you're excited yeah. um beyond that i mean you're meeting with your family at dinner what do they do what what how was your day what happened to you today they tell their stories you tell your story uh when when you're when you're asleep at night you tell yourself stories uh through your dreams subconsciously uh, even when you're not sleeping and you're just bored you daydream and you you run through scenarios in your mind and and you know, there's there's a, a lot of like theories out there about dreaming and things like that. Like, what's the mm. purpose? Why do we do it? Why? Often, yeah. Why do humans dream? Yeah. To prepare ourselves for embarrassing situations, life threatening situations, uh, where where our anxiety increases, we get into f- fight or flight, or uh, we have to figure something out, and there's pressure. And like experiencing the pressure and being like, what would I do? Um, even when that just comes to relationships, you know, I, I think everyone does this and I've, I've learned that recently, but sometimes you, you have a problem with someone you're close to or potentially have a problem and you think that this might lead to an argument or something like that. And so you'll run through the discussion in your head and, and all the possible outcomes, what could they say here? How am I going to respond to that? You know, what am I going to say here, here, here? And you mm-hmm. practice through daydreaming or just through regular dreaming or whatever. Yeah. And stories are a means for us to practice how we should respond to challenges and problems mm-hmm. and all kinds of things. And it gives us the ability to see it through another person's perspective in fiction, or even if it's nonfiction or whatever, how did they deal with it? Okay. How should I deal with it? If that were to happen to me, it's all about preparing yourself, reading patterns. Like I was talking about last week, right? Cause the, the better you can predict an outcome, the better your chances of survival. I think it yeah. all comes back to being biological in that sense. Yeah. Um, now, uh, on the topic of overanalyzing stuff, I just want to show this off real quick. This video came out uh, this week on this channel called Now You See It. It's called The Art of Overanalyzing Movies. You guys should definitely watch this. Uh, here, I'll, I'll send it to you as well, Casey, so that yeah, you can ahead. see it. 
um, definitely check it out. It's a great video, you know, uh, kind of leads off with the question, um, or not with the question, but the scenario of like an art teacher or an English teacher. Uh, you know, the, the author says something like the curtains were blue. And then the, the English teacher goes, the blue curtains represent the character's depression and this and that. And then it goes back to the author. What I actually meant was that the curtains are effing blue. <laughs> you know, there wasn't anything deeper in it than that, right? There's, there's certainly, certainly times where we are looking for meaning in things that were never necessarily the author's intention. Now, mm. is that wrong? Um, that's a d more difficult question. Whether or not the author intended it, you could still find certain meanings in things. That's completely valid. However, um, it's when you're looking for meaning in things in, in, in such m minute details that don't really add anything substantial. It just feels contrived just because, oh, there's a thing I can find meaning in. Oh, there's a pattern I can recognize. Oh, there's a pattern I can recognize. Here's another thing I could pick up. And and it's not, it doesn't really like add anything substantial to this character's right. arc. That's when you kind of get into the realm of overanalyzing a bit, right? But yeah. that being said, people can still find subjective meaning in things and that's that's fine. Like that's kind of what art's all about. Yeah. Okay. Anything else? Well, I'm trying to, to think. That? I just wrote some stuff here. There might be one more. Yeah, closest to life, dimensions. Oh, yeah. Talking about consistent contradictions. I think your very first, um, the very first uh, quote that you read when we kind of started this whole mm. thing. Uh, talking about consistent contradictions makes me think a little bit of Harry Potter, actually. Mm. Um, and how, well, specifically the fifth book, <laughs> which is his really like adverse adverse time period i guess um but having you 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 need to have dynamics low points high points you need to have you know strengths and weaknesses and all of that stuff but they need to make sense they need to make sense with your character your character can't um he can't do things do things that the audience uh feels like he shouldn't do based on the other information that you've given him in the first place and you can do that sometimes there's always anytime there's a rule you can break it to great effect sometimes uh, for whatever purposes you may have. But your contradictions need to make sense. Like uh, one of the examples, I think, in the article that um, that we had looked up, this one right here from the script lab, um, they talk about um, uh, Ron Swanson in Parks and Recreation or Dwight Schrute in The Office, how they both have this specific, like, this is who they are. They're They're – they're weirdos, right? So I don't know another word to use for them. Um, but several times throughout the show, you see at least a little bit of why they are the way they are, specifically with like Dwight Schrute or his family. Sometimes you actually have really tender moments with these characters that make sense. It's not that Dwight Schrute became a different person or anything. It's that it's that um, you were able to see a different side of him that you hadn't really seen before, but that makes sense given the, the state and the personality that he currently has. That would be like a consistent contradiction. You know, things happen to people, but the decisions mm -hmm. they make need to need to make sense, even if they're the opposite. There was another example here given um, for, um, oh, the, um, oh, what's it called? What's it called? What's it called? Humphrey Bogart in Casablanca. This article right here, it's from the script lab. They say um, he is seen saying that he'll stick his neck out for nobody, 
but then he proceeds to do the exact opposite. But it's a consistent contradiction because all humans understand um, how men are in love with women and they <laughs> act and how that actually kind of makes sense within the human frame construct that we, that we're viewing this whole thing through. Sure. So anyways, that's, that was another kind of side point that I wanted to bring up. Nice. It's got to fit the world. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yes. Uh, we're going to move on now to wrap up the podcast with our community stories. Um, show off some cool stuff that you guys have been working on. This first one comes from modern, era- I'm sorry, I'm not going to say this right. Modern erasms or erasms, maybe. Um, and let me pull this up here. Make sure I have the right link. Um, oh, actually, no, wait, no, wait. There's one more thing I wanted to add to the last topic, too. <laughs> oh, let's hear it. <laughs> okay. First of all, I'm not going to play this clip, but I will show you guys the video uh, that you should watch. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you gave me this. Um, so uh, there's a video here, an interview with Steve Kaplan, uh, classic comedian, brilliant guy, good writer. Um, and he, uh, in this in this video here, um, talks about mistakes that that writers make when developing their characters. And this, I I, I found this because I was researching how do I, like. I was trying to look for a good like structure or graph or something for writing a character arc. That's what I was interested in finding. And um, essentially, like I ran into this video, and that's what led me to the graph I'm going to show here in just a second. But what he talked about was that what the best idea is to have the character start with uh, the desire or motivation or something they want, right? And and what a lot of writers will do is that they'll they'll in order to prolong the story because we don't want to write something that ends after 20 minutes Mm -hmm. they go after what they want but then they just throw obstacles at them to stop them from getting it the whole movie right and it just goes and here's another thing it's in the way here's another thing it gets in the way here's another thing it gets in the way and his philosophy is that it's far more interesting to have the character go after what they want, but realize somewhere around the midpoint, maybe like two thirds of the way through, whatever, that that thing they wanted isn't actually what's right for them. Right. Or it's not it's what not they re- thought it was. Or, yeah. It's not really what they need. Right. They, they thought they needed that, but they didn't really need it. Then they find out what they really need. Then was they inside have a themselves the whole time. <laughs> then they switch and they move and they go in a different direction. You have a character arc that yeah. changes, right? So um, that sort of led me to this graph that I've been using in my own writing. I really liked it. Um, so at the start of the story, you have the character's attitude, desire, or state of being at the beginning of the story. Then step one. Show the audience that your character needs to change in some way. Also establish that there's something your character wants that conflicts with their need to change. Again, this is mostly going to be used for a positive change arc. Yes, so yes. You're creating a three-dimensional character here for a positive change arc. If, if you're doing a flat arc again and your character's an impact character, you don't need to do all this. Um, step two, an, an opportunity arises that will allow your character to embark on a journey toward change. Your character might be resistant to the opportunity at first, but they ultimately decide or are forced to, 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 uh, to take the journey. Three, at first your character may believe the journey is about getting something they want or achieving something themselves, 
They are oblivious to their need to change and only focus on getting the thing that they want. <clears throat> Which leads to four, your character acts according to their own selfish interests. This lack of concern for their need to change causes the forces in your story to push back against your character, resulting in a confrontation or revelation which leads to the midway point, your character number five, your character is confronted with their need to change. This sets your character on a new path, and they must, uh, they must ultimately choose between what they want and what they need. <clears throat> now we're on the back end uh, to the revelation side. Now aware of their need for change, your character will struggle between choosing to act according to what they want or according to what they need, but your character can't struggle forever. This is the next part. At this point, the antagonist forces, uh, the antagonistic forces in your story, rear their ugly head and the f and force your character into definitive action, which leads to eight. Your character makes the clear choice either to remain set in their old ways or to change. That would split this from a positive change arc to a negative change arc, right? They must give up what they originally wanted in the beginning in order to achieve this change. Number nine, now your character must fight to take or to take a stand or to prove that they have truly changed. In the end, they must show your audience the result of the character's choice, be it good, bad, or ugly. And then ultimately you end up with the character's attitude, desire, or state of being at the end of the story, being different from the beginning of the story. That is more or less the structure I've been trying to use for the characters that I'm writing in my story. It's a lot of steps. You have to come up with a lot of scenarios in that. I mean, that's, that's one, two, three, right. four. That, that's nine scenarios <laughs> for every character to demonstrate their change over the course of the story, right? So it can, it can be intense. So keep that in mind if you want to write a really deep three-dimensional character that experiences change over the course of the story. Or write a flat character arc where your main character already knows the truth, is already good, already knows everything, and goes and tells everybody else. They need to change their mind. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> That's the end of that. All right. But now let's move into the community stories. Uh, again, first one here. Let me see. Let me pull this up because I want to read his description of what this is. Um, this one comes from Modern Erasmus. He says, I am the author for the SCP Foundation Wiki. Basically, it's a huge and high-quality collaborative fiction project in the new weird genre. Y'all would probably enjoy SCP in general, honestly, as it's home to tons of fantastic short stories with great plot arcs. Here's a reading of one of the stories that, uh, one of my stories that has 250,000 views. So, let's take a look at this. Here is uh, his author page on the SCP Foundation. Um, again, collections of short stories, a collaborative work uh, effort. So a bunch of people are coming in to write these short stories, all sort of in the in a I would think in a similar continuity. Hmm. But um, here is his video, uh, SCP three one zero eight, the nerfing. Uh, object class, safe, transfiguration, SCP. Again, I'll put this in the description so you guys can click on it. But this is a, a reading of one of the stories he wrote. And uh, sounds like a pretty cool project. A bunch of people, you know, creatives coming together to kind of create this, like, world, you know, in a huge collaborative effort. Sounds really cool. So um, if, if that interests you, go ahead and check it out. Um, and, and listen to this story by... Uh, by uh, modern Erasmus. 
Um, next one oh. I want to show off comes from Ahmad Manga. Ahmad Manga, I think. Um, he says, Hi all, I'm creator of Procrastination Simulator. It's a silly game that puts you in the shoes of an aspiring game developer who procrastinates a lot. I created it in 2015, but here's the definitive 2018 version. Okay, I'm pulling that up. So it's a it's a um, interactive fiction, essentially. Uh, you know, you, you go into this and it'll, it'll give you like a series of choices. Do you want to do this, this, or this? So kind of like choose your own adventure in a way. And you kind of click through and you can get different endings and stuff like that. Um, again, link will be in the description for Procrastination Simulator, if you'd like to check that out. Um, okay, thank you for for sending that in. Ahmad Manga. Okay, next we have Riconius, who uh, wanted to share some of his art with us. Uh, he did uh, Kingdom Hearts 3 uh, fan art here. Said he worked on it for a really long time. Pretty cool. But on top of this, um, nice. I kind of nice. I kind of pulled this from his Twitter. Um, he's actually doing commissions for his art too. Hmm. So uh, you could do you could get a sketch for five bucks, line art for ten bucks, flats for twenty, or full color, um, uh, cell shading for thirty, and full render for fifty U.S. dollars. So if you're interested in having him do some uh, some art for you, want to do a commission. Hit him up. Um, let's see. He's got uh, his email here. Uh, Ricard. I'll just spell it out. R-I-C-A-R-D-O-A-N-T-O-N-I-O-A-R-T <laughs> at gmail.com. So I think it's it's Ricardo Antonio Art at gmail.com. Cool. So hit him up if you want some, if you want to do a commission, you want to do some art for you. Thanks for sending that in. Okay, this last one comes from Paul Metcalf. Um, and this one is awesome. I'm really excited to show this to you guys. So he's creating a game called Tactics 5 Obsidian Brigade. It's a working yeah, title. This looks cool. This looks freaking sweet. Tactics yeah. 5 is a retro-style tactical turn-based RPG in homage to games like 1997's Final Fantasy Tactics from Square, uh, Square Enix. It's set in an in-house fantasy setting with lore and magic. Also uses techniques to convert uh, to, to a 2D isometric look from 3D assets. So I'm going to mute it, but just sort of like um, full-size ear so you can see this. Uh, very, very, very... You can, you can see the, um, the inspirations from Final Fantasy Tactics kind of yeah. uh, off the bat. Um, but we don't see a lot of games being made like this anymore. Um, you know, like there are still tactical uh, tactical games being made, uh, XCOM and Fire Emblem, but I haven't seen one done in the in the style of Final Fantasy Tactics in quite a while. Maybe I'm just ignorant to the fact that maybe there's some great tactical games in this particular Mario style and Lu- or Mario Rabbids Kingdom Battle. That's more like XCOM, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's true. It's not like this at all. Um, but Although there's a new game coming out that looks similar to um, Advance Wars for the Game uh, Boy Advance, nice. but it's it's set in an older time period, I think. So you see the screen transition there when it goes to uh, give you your um, objectives is even similar to Final Fantasy Tactics, like the nice. way that it kind of does that. So, anyways, this game looks really oh. sweet. Um, let's see. 
you, I'll, I'll put the link in the description again to um, the connectunity.com link here where you can come and follow this. Um, a link to his website as well will be in the description. But I'm excited to try this when it's actually done. Like, play yeah, this looks game. cool. I'm freaking stoked about it. So, looks awesome. Thank you, Paul, for sharing that with us. Um, okay. I believe we have reached the end of our podcast for today, fellas. I think so. Um, I will try to incorporate more Q&A next time because we've switched it now to where we're only going to cover one topic each week. Kason and I, instead of having each of us split and do a different one, yeah, we're each going to just do one topic. And we'll each have our different approaches to it. Yeah. So we'll take... I think next week I'll put out something on Patreon so that you guys can ask questions again. We're not going to go like super in depth into them like we did on the last, like the, the our previous podcast um, mm. where we make them into full flesh to like 30 minute topics or whatever. But um, we will still uh, open up the opportunity for you guys to ask us questions on Patreon yeah. that we can, that we can answer on whatever you guys want us to talk about since we're choosing the main topics now. So, yeah. All right. You guys are beasts. Thank you for watching. Um, Kaysen's got a video coming out on Monday. It's going to be great, especially for those of you who, who already saw it. <laughs> are, well, for those of you who already saw it, I hope you watched it. If you didn't, go watch it. But if you're learning, if you want to learn a foreign language, Ooh. if you're interested in learning a foreign language, you better be ready for this video. This video is going to teach you everything you need to know about how to learn a new language you will be fluent by the end of the video <laughs> so. you'll you'll be able to play japanese games in japanese yep. watch anime <laughs> in japanese by the end of Kason's video so high impact video to it. all right guys we will talk to you again soon peace out peace Thank you.